Here we go. So welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, welcome to In-Depth Perceptions. I'm your host, Nathan Riva. And I'm very honored today to have somebody I'm sure everybody knows, uh, which is James Corbett of the Corbett Report on. And I want to have a discussion with James about some very important topics, um, especially after the 2016 presidential selection and, and what's taken place. And we'll get to that later on. But there were, James, I don't know if you remember, but back in 2014, um, you made uh, you made the China and the New World Order um, uh, podcast. Which you talked about the two-dimensional and three-dimensional uh, chess game that's going on. And I don't know if you remember, you didn't ask me anything before uh, you released that podcast. And there was a guy that asked you a question. It was under the name Zeiderberg or something. And you, and you made a video responding to it. And it was actually me that posed the question to you. And it was, so it's funny how things come full circle. And now I'm sitting here chatting with you and we're talking about this uh, particular subject that I actually asked you about. It was, had to do with, well, there's all these different players on the board. There's uh, Zionism, there's the nation state of, uh, of Israel, there's America, there's China. I'm like, what's going on here? What's going on here? And you basically said, stay tuned to my China and the New World Order documentary. And I've grown a lot since then, that documentary, or sorry, that podcast shed so much light on it. So I want to basically use that uh, 2D and 3D chess analogy to get at something much, much deeper, much, much more fundamental of what's going on, not just in society, but in us as individuals. Because you said, and I want to quote you here, we have to understand this deeper level of what's going on to understand what is happening at the surface level. What is happening is not the 2D surface level of nation states pitted against each other, but the 3D hierarchical reality of super gophers at the top, perpetrating a system uh, by, by they can, where they can play nation states against each other to create a global governmental system. Now, I kind of wanted to ask you, why is this 3D chess game uh, analogous to what we are witnessing uh, that takes place in the physical world that we call reality? Because like you said, in order to understand what is happening at surface levels, we have to understand the deeper level of what's going on. Um, and I think the deeper level of what's going on is something that's taking place in the human consciousness, something that's being um, uh, played upon. Um, so I'd like to know um, why you chose that analogy. Why did you chose that metaphor to point towards what we are witnessing rally? Because we can look at something um, when we use this analogy, we can look at something much deeper that's pointing to every single human being on this planet. So, like I said, why why did you choose the analogy of the three D the three D chess game? What do you think it's pointing at in, in in us in our human condition? Wow, we're getting straight into it. Well, the uh, the simplest <laughs> answer to that is uh, the non philosophical answer. The reason I chose that analogy specifically is because I grew up watching Star Trek and I remembered the three D chess board. And I, I mean, I have no idea how you supposedly play that game, but it just always struck me that, you know, if you were just looking at it at the way that we look at chess, suddenly you'd see pieces moving in and out, and you'd have no framework for understanding that other than in that 2D world that you are used to. And so it, it just seemed like a good analogy for explaining this world where we all we think about is nation states and, and whatever, 
Henry Kissinger is American, right? American is apple pie. Good old Heinz Kissinger, right? <laughs> and so when he says something, it must be for America's good. And and it just struck me that that was the blinder that, that we'd put on. And so it, it, it seemed to me to relate something. But I think, I mean, this is obviously something that relates to the philosophical concept that has been talked about throughout history. And another analogy that I like to use is the Plato in the cave um, because the, it, it, it is exactly that. It's a 2D representation of a 3D reality that was what uh, uh, Plato was talking about, which is, for people who don't know, the idea you have people chained up and they're facing a cave wall. And behind them, there's some guys who have a fire going and they're, they're doing a, basically a puppet show. And the shadows from those puppets are lighting on the, on the wall. And so these people who are chained up and can't move are just looking at the wall and they see these shadows and they see them their whole lives. So they think the shadows are the real world. And one guy manages to escape somehow from the chains and he gets up and he sees the fire and he goes outside of the cave and there's this world and he goes back and he tries to tell the people who are chained up about this world. And he can't even, they can't even understand what he is saying. It's just gibberish because all they know are the shadows. So this is a very old idea that there is, there is a deeper underlying thing that we can't, we can't see as readily as, as the underlying reality of uh, the world. And of course, Plato was talking about the platonic ideals and things like that, but it relates in every way. It relates to the, the, as you say, the nation state system. It relates to our interactions with each other as conscious beings in the world. That's a, I mean, that's a, that's a deep and meaningful statement. We are conscious beings in the universe, but we still don't, I mean, there's, there's no scientific explanation for consciousness that is at all adequate to describing what it is we are experiencing right now. Um, which should give us pause for thought about a lot of things that we take for granted. So, that, yeah, it opens up that huge Pandora's box. But it, uh, on the level that I was talking about, I think it was just a good way of analogizing the nation-state game that we're taught to believe is reality, but clearly isn't. I totally agree. And that's why I want to use that analogy, because I want to get at something with you that is, is so deeply with ingrained, ingrained within, in the conditioned mind-identified state that we're in. Because I can use that same analogy that, that you use with Plato, with the puppets on the wall, and escaping from that as escaping the duality of our minds. And people are so locked in to their, um, into their minds and, and the ideas that run through them, not just at a nation-state level, but at a personal level. Um, people are in constant conflict with themselves. And through conflict, you can never have uh, peace or love or joy. And I'm sure many, many people that are listening to this can relate to that. And this is what I think the, the system predicates uh, itself on, is playing on the unconsciousness of the human mind. Because when the, the, the Plato or the analogy Plato uses, escaping the, uh, the the shadow, the, sh the the puppets on the wall, escaping that and then trying to tell people, well, people are so immersed into their ideas and ideologies that they don't know what they're talking about. And I like to use that metaphor as escaping the mind-identified state of being, realizing that you're not your mind or, or that you're married to these ideas that you all have. Because in this alternative community, I, I, I see it and I see it with Trump, and I want to get your take on this. It's the same unconscious mechanism on play, at play as people identifying with things and believing that is who they are. So um, 
I guess the question I have is, why has the shape of reality taken the form of such insanity that allows a that allows a system like this to evolve its systems of control? And it's the system of control. It's happened over millennia. We can we can look at uh, Christianity. It's, this, it's the same thing: controlling people's sep- perceptions, keeping people in a mind-identified state, not not understanding that they're they're much greater than the mind, appealing back from the mind. We're so immersed in our thoughts. Um, but wh- what do you what do you think about that? What do you what do you think about um, uh, again? Even in this alternative community, we have people have gone from uh, even myself liberal. To Republican, okay, I'm not a liberal Republican. I, I see the two. I see the. I see what's going on. So I'm a libertarian now. And now, um, you know what? Well, I don't. I don't believe in government anymore. So I'm an anarchist. And 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 that is the trap here: is pulling yourself into a mind-identified state where now you have created this image inside of your head that I'm an anarchist, or I'm a Jew, or I'm a Zionist, or I'm black, or I'm white. And now that this conceptualized image is formed in your head, you now see the world in dualities. You now see the world in conflict. If you're not an anarchist, you must be somebody else who's not a part of me. It, it, it just plays right into, into exactly what we're trying to uh, Fight something and defeat it, but what we're trying to pull away from. What, what do you what do you say about that? What what do you, what do you where do you see the state of the alternative media? Can you see what I'm what I'm yeah, trying to yeah, point out I, here? I do. I think I do understand what you're saying here, and it is an important point. Um, but I think we also shouldn't. Um, I mean, there's a lot of pitfalls here about the idea that any of us can really rip the mask of these categories and labels and names off of reality and see reality purely, because I. I don't know if it's merely a part of the human condition or maybe a part of reality itself, but I think we as humans are compelled to categorize and name and label and put things into some sort of order that makes sense. Now, the danger of that is always in mistaking our categorization that we are imposing on that reality for reality so that we can no longer differentiate and we can no longer see things from any other perspective. But... I don't think that means that there is, I'm not convinced anyway, there is a way to completely remove all those categorizations and just experience reality directly. I think we need some framework. And the, uh, so I think the, the real art is in understanding, I'm looking at it from this framework, so I will see it in this way and I will understand it in this way. But I can also step over here and I can see it from this perspective and I can step over here and I can see it. That to me, seems like the ideal or the best that we can uh, really uh, achieve when it comes to this. And there are so many different things that I have to say about this because, weirdly enough, I think this connects with the only thing I'm academically qualified to talk about as a literature (laughs) student. Um, This was something that obviously came up a lot, the idea of signs and symbols and how do they relate to the underlying reality. And this is the thing about postmodernism that you know, I mean, I know that's a dirty word now, but that that was something that, that's really tackled in postmodernist philosophy is this idea that we have, for who knows, since the time of Plato and Aristotle, mistaken signs and symbols for the thing itself. And we have to yes. remember that it is not the thing so that we are imposing some sort of order on this. Now, I don't think, again, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing in and of itself that we as humans tend to try to impose order 
on the world to try to, I mean, at least even achieve what we perceive our goals to be. I have this goal for myself and my life, and I want to achieve this, and I want to be this kind of person, so I'm going to see the world from this perspective and measure things from that way. We need some sort of yardstick. Meter stick, if <laughs> for us Canadians, right? <laughs> Meter stick? I, I don't even remember. I'm so... <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> you get what I'm saying. I, I think we still use a yardstick. Yeah, all right. Yeah. <laughs> all right. But, but we need a measuring device of some sort to mm-hmm. understand if we are achieving what we want to achieve. And, uh, again, we have to understand, well, I think we have to keep in mind that what we want to achieve is to some extent going to be arbitrary. Um, it's going to be part of that order that we're imposing on the world. But it, at least uh, in terms of functioning, I mean, I guess we could just try to exist. I mean, I guess that maybe that's the Buddhist ideal or something. Just try to let the universe happen and, and just experience it. But I personally don't know how to do that. Um, I'm not even saying that we shouldn't be trying for that. But personally, I... Let's bring it back to the personal level. Uh, when you talk about anarchists or labels like that, I always... I hate trying to label myself... Oh, I'm such a delicate snowflake. How could I possibly label myself? But then I always do come back at various points, especially when I see someone who's advocating something that clearly is on the other side, then I feel more like, oh, well, no, but yeah, but as a voluntarist, I I believe this. I always keep coming back to that. And there is some sense in which, yeah, inside I have this framework that I'm imposing on the world. Now, I, I trust me, I mean, I think anyone who's listening to our conversation has probably had their rabbit hole experience, right? So yeah. personally, from that experience for me, which happened around 2006, where my, my perception of what the world and everything completely changed in a period of, I don't know, half a year, it was an incredible experience that keeps me humble in knowing that whatever I think today, or however much I think I know today, could be completely upended in a matter of months. I mean, I could have another experience where completely everything changes. And I've seen that in the cycle of my lifetime, seeing the the type of societal transformation that I would have thought would have been impossible. Again, I've talked about it a lot, talking about, you know, imagine going back to the 80s or 90s and trying to tell people about the post-9-11 world and the Patriot Act and all of this stuff, and they'd be like, ah, oh, that's sci-fi stuff. No, this is, we've we've experienced these changes. So they happen, and we have to remember that the core of who we perceive ourselves to be is to some extent a construct. And we're imposing that on the world. And that comes with the viewpoint. Um, but again, I'm not, I, I mean, maybe you can convince me otherwise. I just don't think that we can ever escape having a, a viewpoint, a frame that we use to, to look at the world. Oh, well, great response. I think this is going to make for a good conversation because one thing I've learned over the over the the, the years of uh, of all this awakening, and, and again, James, you like I said before we started recording this, you helped me so much, um, really piece together how this this world is. But the question for me is why, and I keep coming back to that: why, 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 why does this system take the form that it does? And it's predicated. I don't want to. I don't want to. I'm not trying to argue this. I want people to ask themselves the question. Because that's the only way that we're going to get any answers. It's not by someone dictating, this is the right way to view things. This is how, it's, how it is. You have to ask yourself the questions. And that's what I've done in my life. And it's, and it's led me down to here, here to Ecuador. And I, we don't need to get into that. But we, 
I, I want to know what is this unconscious mechanism that is that is so that runs so rampant that that is at play play that is at play here and it and I do I do understand where you're coming from. We do need a yardstick. We do need some sort of meter stick. But it, the idea of consciousness itself, like what is that? And in the scientific community, they have no accurate uh, definition or model of what that is because the scientific community can never attain that because it's beyond knowing from a scientific perspective. It's, it can't quantify it, you can't measure it. It's a feeling of awareness, nothing else. Um, when you sit back and, and you can watch your, your own ego uh, rise up and you see yourself arguing with people and you can see, you can see the chaos that it creates in your own life, um, the dualistic nature in which we view things, uh, uh, our family situations, um, our work situations. Uh, maybe we, we, we like to play the victim uh, mentality that this, my life situation is the way it is because this happened here. It's my life situation. We're always looking for outside things. We're always looking for outside things that'll help change this reality. We're looking at, uh, you know, I, I would consider my own uh, framework as a voluntarist or as a, a, an anarchist, but I already see it in this alternative community. People are now identifying with that. They're creating the duality in their mind. And what I'm saying and what I'm asking is, are we our mind? Are we something greater than the mind, which is consciousness, which is pure awareness? Can we sit back? Can we observe our minds and see the destructive patterns that it creates in our own life? What do you, what do you think about that? To some extent, yes, I have. I, I think I can experience and understand that. Um, to the extent that others at least claim to be able to do that, no. But then again, I have never really practiced meditation or any of these things that apparently lead to that form of consciousness. Have Have you? Um, I, I practice meditation and, and things like that. But again, people can get lost in... There's a way to attain um, uh, what people call spiritual enlightenment, and and again, people get so caught up in in words and definitions, it's ap it's insanity. It, again, playing right back into the mind. But meditation is something that helps people uh, calm their mind. It helps people, and when people calm their mind, they feel at peace, and and that peace comes from that their mind isn't worrying about something. Their mind isn't telling them something that they need to think about. Or there's something that they need to worry about. And um, so I do practice meditation, but it's not, it's not like you practice meditation and you'll uh, experience this. You do this, you'll experience this. It is simply awareness. And people are always searching. I'm trying to achieve spiritual enlightenment. It's out there somewhere. Once I get to there, then once I reach this pinnacle, then I'll achieve it. And it, it, that's a lie. It, enlightenment or whatever you want to call it is here right now. It's a, it's a perception of awareness. It's a perception of yourself that is greater than the I, greater than all the experiences that one has over their life. Because we all create, we all are born into this world. We all have experiences foisted onto us. Uh, because our personal tragedy, and that's what makes up our I. That's what makes up our ego, and and people are so identified with that. And I see so much 
what we call mental illness, anxiety, depression. Everyone's got something going on because there's and everyone's searching for something. I'm searching to 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 be to be a good person. I'm searching for this. I'm searching for that. But in reality, all we have is right now. And that's the awareness is realizing that the only moment we have is right now. There's nothing's going to come from out there. And that's the whole thing why I I want to I I relate this back to the way society is because Society is the way it is, and you ask yourself this question, is society the way it is because of our unconscious minds and because the manipulation of our unconscious minds playing into this duality? (sighs) Okay, this, I mean, there's a lot of different thoughts that come to my mind, one of which is that if I were to try to distill what I think is the core of the ideology of the them, they, them, those, whatever you want to call the people who are, are arrayed against what I tend to believe is good for humanity. I, I think it's about destruction and suppression and nullification of life, which means that what I think the goal that I think is the prime goal and what I, motivates me is the flowering of life. I want to see the flowering of life. That is what I think the universe wants in a certain sense. It's what it's about. It's about the flowering of life. But the universe doesn't just hand us everything. Well, everything is there. The The elements for life are there. But it isn't just we passively become this flowering of life. There is the struggle for life. The struggle, the work, the toil becomes this beautiful thing. The garden left to its own devices will become a wild jumble tended carefully, it becomes a beautiful thing. Now, that's a dangerous idea because, of course, you know, the they, them, those, uh, that's the way they'll frame it. We are tending the garden. You know, eugenics and all of this is all about just tending the garden of humanity so that the greatest will flower, which just happens to be us. Wow, imagine that. Um, So there's obviously, there's the autocratic mindset that comes in with that, the, the desire for control. We can control the way that this is going to happen. That's the struggle. So I don't know how I prevent myself from falling into that trap. Do I have autocratic tendencies because I think that there must be struggle and conflict for the flowering of life to happen? Should it should it be? Maybe we should just learn to understand that the wild tangle of weeds and whatever that grows in the untended garden is the beauty. And that is what nature wants. And maybe that is what the universe should be. And we should stop trying to tend and 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 struggle and conflict um, to try to create a better world. Just let the world be the way it is. Again, I'm not sure I can say that. I'm just saying that my arbitrary goal is I want that flowering of life, the beauty of the flowering of life that I know is possible, that I think necessitates a struggle. Uh, I have no idea if that touches on <laughs> the point you were trying to make, but this is where my thoughts go when I start looking at this. No, it actually it, it touches it touches very deeply on what what I, what, I, what the point I was trying to make. Um, because this is this is a good conversation. I, I love this. This is exactly what I was hoping for. But the flowering of life can it exist? by winning some sort of struggle can it exist by winning a struggle but and then the some people may may think what i'm talking about is is a bit passive um which is which is not which is not it at all there's something again much deeper at it's it's if you want to see peace 
and love and beauty in your life. And I'm not claiming that you don't have any of those things, but by the sounds of it, you have a wonderful life and, and family. And, and I'm sure most people who are watching this do, but most people want peace. They want um, love and they want um, a fulfilled life. And again, all this searching, again, trying to fight the system, I don't know if that's going to come come from it. And it's not, it's not again, being totally passive Passive, passive about it, but it's accepting reality for what it is. It's accepting it. If there's an acceptance of it, if there's an acceptance of this is how reality is, and we can't fight against it because you're just you, I'm just me. The more we band into groups, again, it just plays into. The, it just plays right back into divide and conquer. We have this group versus this group. So, what I would ask people is, can it arise from within? Is that where consciousness, because I, I, I'm from the opinion and I have the opinion that consciousness is, does not come out of the mind. It comes from beyond the mind. What we are is a vessel. Our consciousness comes through the vessel. Um, when you look at somebody who has just passed on or passed away and you, and you look into those eyes, the life force, that formless energy is no longer there. And I'm not claiming that, you know, I know how this all works. The, the whole thing is this reality is so mind-bending, so complex, so incredible. We no one knows what's going on, but there is this deep understanding that spiritual teachers in the past have been pointing towards. And all we have is words. We don't have any concrete things. We have words which are signposts. And I'm asking questions using words, using my, using these signposts. And the question is, can we create a better reality um, as uh, collectively, because each individual human consciousness has risen, it's be, ha, it's risen, be, and more people are in a state of balance, a state of peace, and a state of happiness. Because when that happens in one's life, the reality of one's life then changes. The perception of someone's life changes, then the reality of life, someone's life changes. And look at you as a prime example. Look at your YouTube channel. Look, look at where it's come. That comes out of a perception. That comes from a deep, uh, something from deep within. It doesn't come from grasping at things. So do you think that, because um, we, we talk about like what, uh, there's all these people in, in, in the uh, alternative media that talk about, we need a conscious revolution. We need a conscious revolution. And it's like, well, what is consciousness exactly? Wh what are we talking about when we're talking about a conscious revolution? I would point towards consciousness is beyond the mind. It's beyond uh, this dualistic nature, which we are in this reality pulls us into a, a dualistic nature. But when we, when we can peel back, when we talk about oneness and, and wholeness, there is this inherent connected and in, in oneness. There is this collective consciousness, which we are actually a part of. It's not the I. It's not the me. The me is just the experiences. So do you think it can arise naturally? It's not that we need to go out and mess with the garden. We need to mess with our own gardens, our own states of being for our uh, collective uh, reality to then manifest. What, what do you think about that? Chicken and egg. You know, does a revolution of consciousness occur first or does it occur as a response to events that are happening that themselves may have been caused by a revolution? Yeah, um, it's an interesting question. And I am, uh, I suppose, guilty of uh, as charged of that because I, th I remember one of the first interviews I ever gave was something along the lines of revolution of the mind is the only revolution that matters. I've been saying this since the beginning and I still feel strongly that it is a, fundamentally, yeah, the the political game and 
how you insert yourself into whatever political matrix is secondary. The, 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 the mind frame, the consciousness is what matters. Does that change naturally? Can that occur naturally? Another thing that occurs to me with regards to this conversation is the old mind-body duality and mm-hmm. various attempts to resolve that. And there are pitfalls in the attempts to resolve the, the seeming duality. There, well, we have the mind, we have the body. But no, the, um, a, a certain section of the populace will say no. That's resolved because the mind, the brain, creates our conscious experience. And so they are linked in that manner. Which ultimately makes us into nothing more than biological robots. robots. Yeah, exactly. And I, I, I reject that completely. We are not biological robots. I think if there was an analogy that appeals to me, I mean, how can I possibly say what is? I mean, again, analogies are analogies. But the one that appeals to me is that the the mind, the brain, acts as a type of antenna that can pick up consciousness and somehow manifest that in whatever way your antenna happens to, to pick up that signal. That's an interesting idea to me, and one that seems at least closer than the idea that we're biological robots who just whatever, you know, neurons are firing <laughs> is controlling the way we perceive the world. Or at least that's way, the way I'd like to think it. And and in that sense, you know, the old uh, comeback to people who think that we're anything more than just our, our bodies, our flesh and blood bodies, they'd say, well, yeah, but what about people when they get brain damage and then they become this different type of person? Well, you could say, well, your antenna's damaged, so you're just experiencing the consciousness field differently, exactly. whatever. Again, I don't know any of this for truth or falsity, but it just, it seems there's something more to it than just our flesh, flesh and blood. So the question then about conscious revolution and what that means, and does that, see, here's the thing, is that I don't know, I'm sure it is possible if you were just sitting isolated in some box somewhere, not experiencing the world outside, I'm sure you could come to some sort of you know, understanding in your head and that could evolve in some ways. But though the only thing that I know is the my own conscious experience of the world, which was shaped by things like 9-11. You know, that was one of the things that got me thinking and, and directed towards the, the politics that I have today. An event like that that I know has shaped many people's understanding. I know many people in the alt-media and people who follow the alt-media who have been brought on to this new way of thinking about the world because of an event like 9-11. That was a consciousness-shaping event. Um, Could we have reached this stage of consciousness without an event like that? I'm sure we could have, but nonetheless, that is the actual causal link in the chain that brought me to where I am today. I'm certainly not saying this is a good thing, but I'm saying that from my experience, conscious change in consciousness comes as a result of change in world experience, my experience of the world. So can is there is there such a thing as a consciousness that is separated from the world and the way we perceive it? I'm I don't know. I don't know. I've never experienced that. I wouldn't necessarily say that it's a uh, it's 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 separate from the world we experience. It's just it's it's in the background. It's it's a part of the world that we experience, but it, it it's not um it's definitely not separate. It's just in the background, the the foreground, the surface. And th- and this is what I uh Again, another question because it relates to the, your 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 podcast in China and the New World Order, and why I think the 3D chess analogy is so such a good uh, metaphor and such a good analogy to to use with what we're talking about is 
Because I would say, or I would point to, or I would ask people the question, the surface level of your mind, uh, the, sorry, the surface level that you talked about is our mind. It is our everyday life. This is our surface level. It is our reality that has been created from the inside out. The deeper level of, the deeper level of what is going on is be, beyond the mind, beyond the pettiness of it, beyond the duality of it. Um, uh, the deep awareness, the deep connectedness of being one with everything is what I believe um, or what I think that this this system is trying to uh, suppress. I think this is what the secret societies are about. Um, and they've been going on for thousands of years. You look at the the, the institution of the uh, the Roman Catholic Church and and what what that was doing and what what our society is doing. It is the me, the mainstream media's job, it, it, what I like to call it, is perception management because the perceptions we have of ourselves, the perceptions we have of reality uh, shape reality. I would ask people to ask themselves, is, is, does the perceptions that you have of yourself, do you think it shapes your reality or is your, does your reality just come to you out of randomness? Because again, the perception, the scientific community, and we know how corrupt the scientific community and how controlled the scientific community is. The perception that the scientific community has is your thoughts do not create your reality. They are inside your head. You have no, everything is random. Everything is chaotic. You're an accident. So, oh, wow, great. There's no meaning. There's no purpose to life. You're here for no reason. So, you know, you know what I mean? Why don't we all just kill ourselves? Uh, but so I would say the surface level that I want to, you know, say, relate to your analogy is the surface level is our mind. And the deeper understanding, the deeper level that we should get at, or we should ask ourselves that if we can get to is, can we go beyond the mind? Can we just be awareness? Can we go out into the world and just look at things the way they are without labeling them? This is what it is. And just, and just view things as that. doesn't mean we don't use this mind. Cause like you said, I believe, or I, I like, I don't believe there's belief systems are so inherently corrupt, but I, I, I like what you point out when you say that the mind is an antenna. Um, the, the mind is just picking up on different things. The mind is a part of this vessel, a tool that is used to navigate this reality that we in, that we're in. And this gets a little bit metaphysical. And for the, the, you know, the people who are locked into a scientific perception may maybe even get offended or get upset in a conversation like this. There's no evidence, blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? But, we have to ask ourselves these 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 questions: Is can we can we move beyond the mind? And do you think um, awareness of your own mind, like if you can sit back and observe your own mind, observe yourself, observe your own ego and how it acts, is that a, a gateway into uh, you know a deeper level of of understanding ourselves and the uh, and the world that we live? I'm sure it is. Uh, um... But again, I would question how how deep we can go with that. What what is the uh, the end stages of that? And um, uh, something that occurs to me. Well, well, as you're talking, it, it seems it, uh, it's like the one thing that I can directly at least perceive or grasp is my conscious mind and what it is thinking and doing at any given time. And I can speculate about what's motivating that and and things like that. I, that's something I can wrestle with. But the idea that there is there's really something underneath all of that that's more fundamental and real that I can't possibly directly experience. Maybe true, but it's... Uh, I don't want to be facetious, but taking the devil's advocate position here, it's like saying, 
well, the the thoughts that you think you're having are actually just the whispers of magical pink invisible unicorns that are whispering in your ear and you have this ability to sense them, but you think they're your thoughts. Uh, just trust me, the magical pink unicorn is there, right? Uh, well, maybe it is, but I, I have no way of, of knowing that or experiencing that or feeling that. So again, it has to be something that, that, that comes from experience. And as you say, we have the the past spiritual teachers of various sorts who have posted signposts towards this idea that we can get to this different level of awareness of experience of the world without the layer of our conscious distraction getting in the way. Um, I just personally haven't had that experience, at least not in the form that I think other people are gesturing towards. So I don't know if I can speak to that from that level. I'd like to think it is possible to reach that, but I'm not sure what we can do with that. I mean, to what extent? It, let's put it in this framework. So, yes, can consciousness shape our world? Not just not just we are shaped by the world, but we can shape the world that we live in by our conscious perceptions. I, I tend to believe that's so, and the one thing that we can look at that is now becoming scientifically scientifically validated is the idea that we can physically change our body by our own perception and our own experience. And they're, they're starting to understand that and things like the placebo effect that we've known about for a long time. What we think literally affects our bodies. So how far does that go? How much can we actually shape the world through our consciousness? Good question. I don't know. I don't know. I don't think anyone really knows, but, but there must be limits to that. Mustn't there? Or do we completely shape our reality? Then again, you could go to, if you're a quantum physics kind of guy, and if you believe all of the way that it tends to be interpreted, they're literally saying our consciousness creates the universe. Each and every picosecond is being created by our perception of the universe, is one interpretation of quantum physics. It gets really metaphysical from that point. It, it does. And I, and I like the metaphysical conversations because it generates questions. And, and the only way we're going to get to any sort of uh, uh, conclusive answers, we may never get to any conclusive answers, which is fine. Who can really understand this reality? But it, the act of asking the questions it, well, is key. Actually, but, can I bring in the conspiratorial angle? Yes. Let's bring in Absolutely. fun conspiratorial angle. Absolutely. What if, what if there are people who really do know this? and know how to manipulate reality in some way, or at least know that our perception of reality helps to manipulate what is possible, and thus are motivated to get us into certain mindsets or certain uh, ways of looking at the world so that we can be better corralled in this direction or that direction. That, I think, is something that everyone listening to this conversation can probably speculate is not too far from the truth in one form or another. Well, that's exactly what I was, I'm, I'm trying to get at with, with this is, is what, what you just pointed at is, and this is what I believe. And again, maybe this is a belief, but this is how I observe things. It may not be, it may not be true, but that's at the f most fundamental level this conspiracy is about. It's about hiding the actual nature of reality itself from people. And I want to use the alternative community, and especially since we had the, you know, the circus of a presidential selection uh, in 2016, to kind of really illustrate this, this, this pulling people back onto the plantation. No, 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 no. Don't, don't wander too far. Remember, you're, you're in a perceptual delusion of, of reality. We've created a story, a narrative. Again, a narrative only exists. It's not narrative. 
is the savior. He's going against the, the establishment. That was the whole job of the media was to manufacture that perception. And people believed it. They believed it with their being that Donald Trump somehow is a part is a part of them. And it doesn't just stop at Donald Trump. This whole alternative uh, community in, in a lot of ways, it is just it's filled with echo chambers and just groupthink. And I'm not trying to uh, bash anyone because I, I so many people have done so much good work. But I, I see the I observe the. The, the slow encroachment and, and moving back into boxes. And the more boxes we place ourselves in, there's no chance of ever um, uh, defeating the system or, or, or having something else grow, grow out of it. Because, again, the, 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 the conspiracy, and again, from this angle, is I believe that's what they're trying to keep from people. You watch, you watch Hollywood movies, you see the symbolism, you see the dualistic... Uh, you know, the floor patterns, the Masonic floor patterns, black and white. They want to pull people into the perception that everything is black and white, not that you are connected in a collective consciousness. And your the collective consciousness predicates the system. That's why such a few people can control 7 billion people is because it's a system based on unconsciousness. And people live in states of fear, states of worry, states of doubt. So if that's their consciousness... This is the system that has flowered from that, because the and, and the, the manipulation is is what the is what the power structure does. They can't control things like people people think they they can only steer, they can only guide, they can only manipulate. Because there's seven billion people. To some so, extent, the most fundamental freedom that we have, the one that it's all predicated on, is the ability to say not this, and not that. And if they can get us into a system where you got to choose this side or that side, then it is controllable. That is a contained system that can be controlled. So it has to get back to that. And I think you're right. And it's interesting that aligns with a, a, a perception that I've had recently that um, I can't remember where I was listening to it, but somewhere along the way, um, someone was mentioning the idea. Uh, I think it was in 1930s Germany in that context um, that people were, were noticing that now nothing is apolitical. No matter what you talk about, I mean, talking about entertainment, talking about the weather, whatever it is, suddenly it's a, there's a political angle to it. And it's all about this struggle that's happening on the national level. And I think we're reaching that point again, clearly. I mean, anything you see, Hollywood movies, whatever, it's all about, you know, SJWs versus anti-SJWs versus whatever. It's all about politics, all coming back down to that. Because the ability to B, exist outside of that system is being narrowed and narrowed and narrowed and it's coming back to this side versus that side. And that limits people's perception of other human beings to you are not yes. me, therefore you are them. And that is the easiest way to engineer conflict, which is clearly what we're trying to avoid. So yes, I, I very much see what you're trying to say here. Yeah, and that's all. this is how I've, and in my own life, Uncovering all this, going down the rabbit hole of, of and 9-11 was it for me. That was the, um, okay, my whole perception of the world changed, and it led me down this, this rabbit hole. But that question of why has led me to questioning myself. Why do I view things the way I, the way I, I do? And I'll, on a personal level, um, I've always been extremely critical of myself, very, very um, um, 
I would call destructive thoughts, perceptions of yourself that you're, you don't, you're not good enough. You, you know, I like we talked about played in the CFL and I was there for one year and then, you know, didn't progress after that. And that, that was a, that was a heavy pill to swallow. It was a, and I was in a state of perception. My mind was telling me I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. And that was creating a certain reality for myself, that conditioned state of mind. And we're getting related back to the whole conspiracy thing is, why do they use so much fear? Why do they use so much um, so much disgusting propaganda? And is to condition the mind, just like Pavlov's dogs. He hears the bell, he gets the food. His mouth starts salivating. That's how the mind works. But that's why I think the only way, or one of the only ways, or however, the a, a, a way to to move beyond this system is to get out of our minds, not disassociate from them completely, but realize if you sit, if you can sit back and watch your mind, be like, wow, this is a, I have, I'm in a conditioned state of fear, a conditioned state of anxiety, a conditioned state of worry that you, you, when you you sit back and realize I have no reason to be in that state. That's not, that's not me. That's just my mind telling me something. And that's the exact same the exact same thing, the exact same mechanism at play here with this whole conspiracy. And you look at what's going on right now in the world, and it is insanity. And like you said, people look at SJWs, people look at the alt-right, and they're not seeing them as people. They are seeing them a part of a group. They've already been dehumanized. They've already lost the humanity. So right there, people are engaged in a conflict. And, and, and I made a video called... Uh, uh, libtards versus uh, alt-right, why nobody wins. Nobody will win from this. Uh, only the power structure will win. And again, the, the whole saying uh, of worlds upon worlds upon worlds upon worlds, as above, so below. This unconscious neck mechanism that works on the, uh, on the collective population is the exact same un unconscious mechanism that works in our own life and is the reason why people are depressed, it's the reason why people feel so much fear, anxiety, doubt, uh, self-destructive thoughts, a perception of themselves, a perception of their own reality that they exist in every single day that is uh, creating chaos in their own life. But if we can peel back the layers of ourselves and, and, and realize that we're not our mind or, or ask ourselves the question, are we our mind? Are we these conditioned states of fear and, and different perceptions? Because if, if we really ask ourselves that question and you start to observe your mind, you say, well, who's doing the observer of my mind? And then you, again, this awareness is in, I feel is in the background. Are you peeling back? Just like you sit, just like you sit there, James, and you look at the society and, and you, you have reached it at a certain level. You, you're able to look at the world as is and, 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 and give people rock-solid information. So that comes from a state of presence. That comes from a state of looking at things, not being attached to an, a certain ideology. So I like, I, I, I like to help people. It's, it's in my nature. And that's what I see this, this grand conspiracy, the same unconscious un mechanisms that are at play there, are at play in our own, in our own realities. And, and without our own realities, without us being in a state of peace, Without us being in a state of uh, of love and non and non conflict with ourselves, with the people around us, with our family, how can we ever expect uh, a collective consciousness where something much more beautiful than this ridiculously insane system that we that we see? It's 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 insanity, and it's predicated off 
unconsciousness and off unconscious insanity. So one of the things that occurs to me as you're speaking there is uh, a quotation that I don't know off the top of my head who this is from, but something along the lines of uh, in the space between stimulus and response, in between stimulus and response, there is a space. And in that space is our power to choose, is our freedom. And that's it. We have to understand that we are programmable in a sense. If we put things on autopilot then we become the automata that the would-be social controllers want us to be. Um, And that's kind of the default mode. Uh, We can be programmed by a stimulus and response and led along uh, a path. And uh, I would point to... uh, Walden 2, which I did a film literature in the New World Order on. Um, Obviously, B.F. Skinner, his novel about how to construct a society where basically you program children from an early age how to be what you want them to be, and then they'll never be able to be anything else. They, the, Essentially, Skinner and the behaviorists and what a lot of the they-them-those they, have been investigating for the past century is the idea that we are programmable robots who can be made to do this and made to do that. And unfortunately, there is a truth to that in the sense that if we just put it on autopilot, if we do not insert ourselves into that space between stimulus and response, then we will be led along a road. We can be programmed in that way. Um, so what differentiates us from the pigeons in B.F. Skinner's experiments is our humanity. That is, I think, ultimately what this is about for me, is reclaiming that humanity that exists there somewhere, but we have to, we have to in some way will that or force that or or put that space between us between the stimulus that we're receiving and the response that we want to give and that's i don't know i mean i don't know how to formulate that i don't know how to teach that i think this might be what you're referring to in the sense that the only thing that exists there is a conscious realization that there is a space to, to understand that we do not have to respond to every stimulus in the way that we are being taught to. Just that perception itself changes our, our entire mindset, the way that we relate to the world. So that, to me, that space between stimulus and response is fundamentally humanity. And I think, from everything that I've researched, the past, certainly the past century probably the past several millennia of human history has been about trying to eliminate that space so that we are stimulus response robots. So how do we reassert ourselves into that mix? How do we do that other than to just be aware that that space exists and to observe it and to observe ourselves in that space? You hit the nail right on the head there, James. I, I think that's the, the, the one true, the one true way that, you know, you're not pointing to a leader. We're not pointing to uh, an ideology that's going to fix the world or some somebody on a white horse that's going to come in and save it, save everybody. It's up to each individual to actually observe and realize that fundamentally they are that space. And and again, this may sound a bit metaphysical, but that space is formless. What we are in its essence is formless. This again, this is just a vehicle to experience this reality and, and and again some people might think that's crazy or a bit a bit out there but ask yourself ask yourself the, the questions and and 
And what you said about we got to stop reacting to certain things. And I want to bring this back to the alternative media. And I noticed how you kind of take have taken back. You don't really things are there's so much crazy stuff that's going on all the time, and the media is just blasting us nonstop. And you don't really talk about uh, you know that many more things because why are we giving energy? into any of the ridiculous craziness that's going on out there. Why do we care about all these stories so much? Why are we Why are we so focused on what they want us to focus on instead of that space that we are? Because if we can create our own realities in our own life, that's going to elevate the next person next to you. It's going to elevate the next person next to you. And then the whole collective consciousness of humanity will arise. And I think something beautiful will flower from that. And, 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 we're on a road of that. The fact that we're having this conversation right now, that people are going to be able to watch us, and that there are other people out there that are having this same conversation, we are going in that direction because we, we've people in this community, we've understood 9-11 is a lie. We've understood the banking system. We've understood the two-party uh, clown show that's run you know, every four years in the States. We understand all those things. So we have to keep progressing beyond all these things and all these uh, boxes that we place ourselves in to realize that we're this space. You can't define it. You can't label it. You can't. You can't. You can't point at and say this is exactly what it is. It has to come from an observational, an individual observational point of view. And a, a lot of people, um, unfortunately, you know, they they won't be able to get there because they are so locked into their minds. They're so they believe the narratives in their heads so much. That you're not going to change. They're not going to change it. And I'll, I'll give you an example. It might be a little bit of a funny one, and but you're driving down the street, and someone cuts you off. And then instead of observing the thought, observing the feeling of of rage and anger that comes through, people bam react. Mother effer, I'm going to f you up, f you up. This guy is an asshole. Oh, I labeled him an asshole. He's not a human being anymore. He's an asshole. I want to get out of my car and kill him. Like. That is pure unconsciousness, and that is exactly what the whole system is playing, and is exactly what the system manipulates. And it's I'll, it's I'll disheartening that I don't get that way sometimes when I'm driving, but I absolutely do. <laughs> I it's, need it's to insert myself in that space. I know it's good to that's good practice, and and I, I, I'm the exact I was the exact same way. I, I've made a lot of uh, changes in myself and realizing, becoming aware of that space. And, oh wow, I'm. That's that's an insane reaction to have. It's it's insanity and and thinking that you're you know or, or having a perceptual state of yourself or constantly living in fear or worry. Y y when you start really peeling back the layers of yourself and you realize where that comes from, maybe it came from your your parents and they conditioned you a certain way. Maybe it came from a tough religious uh, uh, upbringing. Maybe it came from it could come from anywhere, but it's a perceptual state of your mind. And if you're so locked into it. If you're so identified with it, then it's it, it's hard to see that space. It's hard to get out of that. And and yeah, and I, I I look at the alternative media in some areas, and and people are just really locked into that. If you don't talk about certain things, you're out you're out of the box. You you don't agree with me. I view you as the enemy. You're a shill. You're this. You're that. It's yeah. It's insanity. That's, yeah, and that's I think a lot of the alt media is posing itself as being above all of this fray. We can see the fake controlled reality, but then it all becomes, if you don't believe exactly what I believe and think and talk about and feel in every regard, then you're a shill, is the uh, default response, isn't it? 
It's it's mind blowing, really. It really is mind blowing, James. <laughs> well, I'm glad uh, in a way that you you have re reclaimed you've uh, uh, saved my faith in humanity because uh, I trust me. I hear every day all sorts of feedback, including a lot of feedback from people who, why aren't you talking about this story? This is the most important thing in the world. Why are you talking about this? Why are you talking about this? And it's funny because I get to see it from that perspective of getting all this feedback every day. And every week it's a new, why aren't you talking about this? Um, And, you know, they probably don't remember last week's, why aren't you talking about this? Um, So I've had the ability to observe this for a decade now doing this and realizing I do not have to be the person who relates the story of the day. There's a lot of people who are doing the story of the day, the story of the hour, the story of this minute is the most important thing you'll ever hear. Breaking news! Ah! Exactly. So I I increasingly see my view is, oh, okay, I can actually step back and I can be me as an observer in the world and I can see what I... Not even what I think is the most important, but just what I am drawn towards. Oh, I think this is interesting. I want to research this. I'm going to present this. I do not have to be chasing the news cycle because that I clearly see as a way to lead people around and get them chasing their tails and getting them going in circles and ultimately saying nothing. If all I ever talked about was the story of the day, then none of my work would have any lasting relevance. I have to go towards the bigger issues. And so I actually, for people in your audience who haven't seen it, I did do a video called um, News is a Social Construct. It is there to program you or something along those lines where I made that point specifically a few years ago. And at that time, guess what the story of the day was? That was when all these you know, car ramming, truck ramming, terrorist attack things were going on. And that was the story of the day. Why are you talking about the latest truck ramming in Berlin or whatever? And... And again, a few years later, who even remembers that particular incident? Why do we have to keep chasing the, the, the story that we're being led along by? Why can't we put ourselves into that? And again, I'm not saying I have the perspective that everyone has to have. I have my perspective. I see the world in a certain way, and I look at this, and I think this is interesting. I want to talk about this. That's my role, is to be that. And hopefully other people find it interesting, but... Um, I think that's where the alt media should be more inclined to go. Uh, but it's so easy to just chase the news tail and you will get the clicks and you will get the likes yeah. and you'll get people coming to, towards you if you just start, you know, going along with the narrative. Well, that's that honestly, James, that's why I have the utmost respect for you and why out of all the years I've, you know, since I think 2012 I, or 2013, around 2013, 2014, I really started diving in and I always come back to, to, to you, James, because you can sense your integrity. You can sense that you're not selling yourself for anybody. You're doing what you want to do. You're following your truth. And look where it's led you. Like, wow, like what you've done, what you've been able to accomplish, I think as a total example of you've it's come it comes from it does it comes from that space it comes from that presence what you've been able to accomplish you're not doing you're not trying to fit into a certain group or or try to construct narratives uh that you think are going to uh uh, you know grab viewers you're just doing your own thing speaking your own truth from your perception because that's all we really have is our perceptions and our truth and a lot of people get caught up in you know trying to trying to get clicks, trying to get likes, trying to do this. I see it, and it's and it's acting. 
and they don't even know that they're acting. You you sit there and you do your podcast. You're not acting a certain way. You're being, I can tell, you're being James Corbett. <laughs> do, yeah, do you know well, what I mean by that? that. I, I do appreciate it. I'm, I'm, but I'm also, I'm not saying I'm up here on some cloud floating above everyone that I'm so perfect. I mean, I'm a human like everyone else and I get caught up in things. But I try to maintain that space. I'm at least aware that that space exists. And I think, again, the perception of it is at the very least the first step towards the real revolution of the mind that I think we are aiming towards. <laughs> I'm not sure Absolutely. how we're going to put a bow on this conversation. I'm not sure what neat little uh, summary we're going to come to here, but uh, it's, uh, it's incredibly important stuff. Absolutely. And I, and I guess we're coming up, we're just at an hour. And if you have time for one more thing, um, uh, again, because it relates to all this, and you've talked about it, um, I love it, weaponized narratives. Do you have time just to d discuss this yeah, a little let's, bit? Let's spend a minute or two on that, yeah. Yeah, okay. I'll be quick. Weaponized narratives. A narrative is just a story. A story. Stories don't exist. Reality exists. What is exists. A story can't capture all of reality. So yes, we are living in a time of weaponized narratives. And you and you and you allude to something. You talked about something uh, that around this Trump phenomenon, the deep state. All of a sudden, the mainstream media starts talking about the deep state. This, the deep state. That, the deep state. This. Again, relating to our conversation and even summarizing it here, from where I observe things, that's exactly doing what the mainstream media does, pulling people into a perception, into, do, into a duality of, look, this is the enemy, the deep state, whatever that means, it's just a word, and then people are like, yeah, Trump's fighting the deep state. They're, they have this idea in their head, whatever the deep state is, the banks, the CIA, they can't put their finger on it. Again, it's another idea, another ideology. Whatever Trump is against must be the deep state, right? The deep, exactly. So now we we have this, and again, they they create the duality. They create that. Okay, you we need here's the deep state. There's the enemy. Now we need to fight against it. The same old Hegelian dialectic principles are at work. So. Maybe that's a summary of what we're talking about is, do you, do you, can you see that? Yes, and actually maybe this is another analogy that we could use here to try to represent what that space is that we're seeking. Um, narratives, weaponized narratives, stories that are being crafted for us. And what was the big takeaway tagline of the QAnon thing that I think has wound up or is winding up at any rate, this, that whole psyop, was trust the plan. That was that was literally the tagline. Trust the plan. Um, yeah. I think one of the, the 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 greatest hoaxes that could ever be portrayed or pulled on humanity is to make us believe that we are spectators. To get us into that that mindset that we are watching a movie. Just grab your popcorn. It's going to be great. Trust the plan. Sit back. Enjoy the show. Just read the narrative. Trump's got play. it. Exactly. We are we are just the spectators. And the world is happening over there. Other people are doing things. We are just watching it. If we are ever put into that mindset, then we give up our human agency and we might as well become B.F. Skinner's, you know, pigeons in those experiments. We have to become authors of our reality in whatever way that is, whatever that means. But being present, being real, being here, being doing something, knowing that you are doing something to shape your life, that you are not just being acted upon, you are not reading a story, you are not following a narrative, you are the author of your story. So start writing. I think that's exactly. that's the way to, to put this. 
I totally agree. And that it relates, we'll close it out with this. And that relates exactly with what people or why people uh, are so unhappy and depressed is because they have this narrative authoring their their story they perceive they're sitting back and watching the world and thinking things are happening to them and it's the outside that's affecting them and it's somebody else's fault and and it's this story that they people run in their heads i'm a victim i'm this i'm that i'm an oppressed person and it, you don't get anywhere with that you you have to author yourself and you have to understand how to offer that uh, author your own life which is being that space being that presence knowing what you're doing, not just reacting to people and situations and things that have happened in your life, but being that presence, being that awareness. So then you can then use this mind because it's a beautiful tool properly to take action, to do certain things that are in, are in alignment with the feeling that you have in your heart, that are in alignment with your truth. So I think that might be a good way to end it. As good as we're ever going to get, I think. <laughs> oh. So it was philosophical. I, I really enjoyed this conversation, James. Me too. Thank you very much.